This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, my name is Rocky Kanaka, and this is An Animal Saved My Life. Today, we're talking to Zach Scow about his dogs, Marley and Tug. And I'm really excited about this episode because their story is all about second chances. My dogs just grounded me. They let me know their love was real and that we would get through it. And that's exactly what happened. This is Zach Scow, and he is the founder of many things, uh, such as Marley's Mutts, a animal rescue group, uh, the Positive Change Program, a prison outreach program. First, why don't I just open this up, and I'd love to hear a little bit about what you do. My life is focused on you know, the human-animal bond and bettering the lives of both people and pets. That's all I do, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week for the last 15-plus uh, years. You go out and rescue dogs, no matter the cost, no matter the journey, no matter the stakes, you'll do whatever it takes to save that animal. And so a lot of times you get these animals that have, you're their only hope, right? Or a lot of times people would give up on them, but you don't. Well, sure, man. I mean, I, I just live to find, I really, really do live to find the value in the throwaways. You know, I was a considered a throwaway person for such a long time where my value wasn't evidently wasn't innately known or acknowledged i mean maybe my family or close friends might recognize that there's some potential there but for the most part i was i spent a lifetime dedicated to drug and alcohol abuse and and um really was a, a throwaway with no no hope or purpose so i understand what it's like to be in that position as a as an animal um and it's for me it's just really thrilling and exciting to to bring something up from absolute rock bottom and show that road to redemption and, the, and that whole story arc of of facing adversity um you know head on with with uh, admirable resilience and coming out of it on the other end and for a lot of our dogs the path they were on was to euthanasia you know the the conventional wisdom being how are we ever going to give these dogs a quality of life you know with two legs or, or no jaw or with this gunshot wound or no ears or no tongue or any of the other dogs that we've dealt with you know 80 percent burns all these reasons why they can't or shouldn't be alive and we we leave out the critical x factor which is which is will which is the sheer will and resilience that animals have to not only stay alive, but to enjoy every moment that they're here on earth. You know, they're, they're on earth for a lot less than we are for maybe, you know, 10, 15% of the time that we're here. And, and, um, they get every moment out of it. You got to give them a chance. Zach understands the value of second chances better than anyone. You know, when I was in the hospital dying of liver failure, you know, I, I was given my chance and um, I shouldn't have been given my chance. And, you know, many times over, I shouldn't have been given my chance. And I was, you know, and my dogs believed in me and, and my dogs really the only reason I'm sitting here at all, I mean, by far, my dogs and my dad. And so it's my responsibility. It's, it's not only my spiritual responsibility to give back to these animals and, and be there for them, but um, I think it's also a... I have a responsibility to my fellow human being to just show us all what we're capable of. Zach was in a really dark place when he first met the dogs who would set him on a whole new path, Tug and Marley. I first met Tug and Marley both at the Mojave Animal Shelter, which is 
in the middle of nowhere, Eastern Kern County. I adopted them on different days. Uh, many years ago, I would have been 18 year, 17 years ago for Tug or 18 years ago and 19 years ago for Marley. And um, those dogs changed my life, you know, for, forever. I, you know, absolutely indelibly changed my life forever. I didn't know it at the time. At the time, they were just uh, rescue dogs. But it really wasn't until I got sick that that any of the pieces started to, to be put together. Let's talk, let's talk about them a little bit. Tell me, what did Tug look like? He was in the um, he was in the kennel. He's a little Labrador. He's a uh, a white lab mix, and uh, he was in the kennel as a puppy. He was ten weeks old, and so we took we took Tug, Tug home, and, and he became my uh, he became my boy. What what was Tug's personality like? Uh, boy, it was interesting. Tug and Marley were diametrically opposed. They were so different. You know, Tug, because of my addictions and, and my anxieties, you know, I carry a lot of natural anxiety and anxiousness that most people don't pick up on. But Tug picked it up and he took on all those anxieties. So he, it's almost like he became paranoid. We're, you know, so he's very insecure, back of the pack dog, very nervous. Um, whereas Marley was everything that I ever wanted to be. What did Marley look like? He was a Rottweiler pit bull, black, 95 pounds, just like a lead, he was like a lead ball. He was just, and he was impervious to pain. That dog was incredible, man. And he was just, he could, he could do no wrong. I mean, that dog could just do no wrong. He would scare the bejesus out of people because of just how he looked, but he was a doll and he just loved other dogs. And uh, he had this calm confidence about him that he would break up fights um, that would happen, little flare-ups. He would break them up with his like shoulders. He would bounce into dogs. Sometimes he'd even pin a dog, and he wouldn't even use his mouth. It was really remarkable. Marley was just an absolute peacekeeper. But even when Zach was getting into animal rescue, he was also falling deeper and deeper into alcohol and drug addiction. I first started in animal welfare in 2004. To be perfectly honest with you, I was desperate. I was almost rock bottom. Um, I was using drugs every day. I was drinking 24 hours a day at the time. So drinking all day long, you know, from sun up to sundown and many times in between the night. And um, I felt so bad about myself, so terrible, you know, that I, I needed something to prevent me from hating myself to the degree that I would, I would take my life. You know, I was, I've always struggled with, with varying degrees of suicidal thoughts. And back then at that time, I was at a real low point. I'd been kicked out of college and I lost the love of my life, you know, and, and I was an abject, you know, rock bottom drinker and working with dogs was the only thing that gave me that reciprocal love that I could accept. You know, my dogs were the were the only thing that really helped make me feel worthy. Like I should be on this earth. You know, when my dogs would look at me, they let me know that they that they recognized me, that they saw me, and that they uh, supported me. And um, I don't know that I really felt that from anybody else. You know, I could always accept their love. I could always, you know, receive it unconditionally. But I could not do that with people. You know, and um, because I didn't feel like I had a reason to be loved. You know, at least my dogs, I saved them. Right. Part of the impetus behind my deep involvement in the Humane Society and canine and other organizations locally was was that I uh, had my high school reunion coming up, and my twin brother had just got his master's degree. My best friend was a professor at um, at Brown. Here I am. What am I going to say? I'm a I'm a, you know I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. 
So I started working in rescue so that when, you know, I, I would have something to say. It definitely helped me start to realize that I had an identity and, and I really enjoyed that. And there was a fellowship and um, I, I did start to improve, I think, spiritually, but I and emotionally, but physically I was so addicted um, that there was no coming back from it. And, and then I ended up getting a job and I moved and um, I uh, just spiraled and got heavily back into drugs. And in 2008 uh, is when I got sick. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Now, Zach didn't know yet how bad things would get or how much Tug and Marley would be capable of helping him. I was diagnosed with end-stage liver disease in 2008. Uh, I'd been working in animal welfare for, you know, I'd been dabbling for four or five years. And in 2008, I started to turn yellow. I started to put on a bunch of uh, liquid weight in my belly. Like I started to look pregnant. Um, I started to bruise and bleed. I was in really, really, really bad shape. Um, I, I had a feeling that I was having some sort of problem caused by liquor and drugs, but I didn't know. And I was too scared to go to the hospital. And um, so I basically held out for as long as possible. And I finally went to the to the to see the doctor and he looked at me very almost white and very concerned and very stern and said, you are in liver failure and you need to go to a hospital immediately. And my response was to walk out to the car and basically act like nothing had happened. I was so terrified that they'd take alcohol away from me. And, you know, I'd gone, I'd tried to quit before, you know, in just a few hours for me, the physical withdrawals were so bad. You know, the shaking, the paranoia, the, the emotional, just spiritual, you're just distraught. Uh, and then physically in a lot of pain, you know, and I decided to stay out of the hospital. I decided to fake it and just lie about it. And the lengths I would go to to conceal the disease that I had were mind-boggling. You know, I mean, I wore sunglasses at all times, so you couldn't see the yellow in my eyes. I wore really baggy clothes, so you couldn't tell how bloated I was. You know, and I, I would tape down my stomach, and um, you know, it was a, it was a, I was completely delusional. You know, and I, I held out for as long as I could. And when I got checked into the hospital, I don't remember most of it because I. I had to go through alcohol withdrawal for three days. I don't remember most of that period. And then my kidneys started to fail. So I blacked out during that process as well. And then I was getting blood transfusions constantly. So I don't remember a, a good period of it. But the first thing they said to me when I got checked in for long-term stay at the hospital was, your, they said to my dad, your son needs a liver transplant and he's not going to get one. So that was it. They gave me very, very powerful morphine and Dilaudid. I became addicted to that very quickly. And, um, and it was just hopeless. There was no hope whatsoever. My dad would come and stay with me every day and, and try to give me some hope. I had friends visiting every once in a while, but for the most part, it was just wait to expire at the hospital. And, you know, many weeks in, they started trying to send me home on hospice care, you know, so that I could be at least with my loved ones at home in a, in a home situation to pass away. Because um, there's no coming back from this. You don't come back from stage four cirrhosis of the liver you know you it gets progressively worse not better so it was a really tough situation like i said there was no hope and no anything it was um it was just sit there and and, and wait for life to take me you know and then one day we had a very very randomly i, I kind of came to in my hospital room and there was a group of guys with ties on 
and they're talking to my dad and and one of the guys had gotten through liver failure in prison he's the same age as me and here he is sitting alive standing at the foot of my bed and so that was a, the first big ray of sunshine and hope that maybe it was possible to get better maybe if i if i can survive 6 months i'll qualify for a liver transplant so that was the goal withdrawal was a nightmare but Zach's dogs helped him get through it got much much worse before it got anywhere near better you know first thing that my dogs did for me with that experience was opiate withdrawal by the time i got released from the hospital i was so addicted to opiates that that you know i i convinced my dad to take me to the emergency room three times just to get shots of dope the first thing my dogs did for me with through that to help me get through that was just being there physically i was seeing and hearing so many things you know blood coming out of the walls and the ceilings and all these things that weren't there but felt like they were there and marley i'll just never forget i basically had a bear hug on marley i just wouldn't let him go he was like my you know my connection to the world having marley there marley was just strong he was such a strong commanding physical just his, his he was like a he's like idris alba you know what i mean he's just like he just has that 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 something about him that's so powerful and confident and and comforting and um and grounded and grounded in strength by just touching him and kind of experiencing his presence i could tell that i was going to be okay i could like touch into reality cuz everything i was experiencing in withdrawal was not real and it was but it was scary it was it was just as scary as though it was real All right, after this quick message, we're going to hear about how Zach, Tug, and Marley fight their hardest battle yet. Was there a moment that you remember where your dogs really help you going through withdrawal? Is there a specific moment that you remember? Yeah, well, I just remember it's the middle of the night. I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, you know, just my mirror in the downstairs bedroom is, is full. It's a huge mirror. I walk but past it and I look at myself and, I, and it was just, I looked so ill, you know, and I, I'm looking at myself going, what in the world happened to you? You know, I just had a moment of where it all came rushing forward. How did I get here? What is, what does it all mean? Why am I here? Why is this happening? How could this have happened? Maybe why me? All those feeling sorry for myself kind of moments and just weeping at my at the sight of myself you know and and uh, just think just knowing that I can't continue you know and I look back and feel my dogs behind me just looking up at me and I turn around to look at them and we all lock eyes and it was just like nothing had changed it was like the first day I picked them up at the shelter they saw who I was they knew I was dad they knew the sun rose and set with me they knew that that I was their guy and they knew that I was in there you know they knew that I was 1000% still there that the fight had just begun that you know the 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 road was going to be tough but that we would get through it you know and um I don't know what I would have done with that yeah you know, I felt so lonely in those situations so lonely you know I just felt tragically unique like a Shakespearean tragedy that that you know of epic proportions that no one else could relate to because I was broken and and messed up and 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 uh you know God made me wrong and uh I just need to to check out and and move on to the afterlife or, or something like that you know but my dogs didn't see that my dogs just saw me you know they just saw the person that's always been for them they just saw the person they knew I could be 
And uh, it was just a very beautiful moment of maybe we can do this. You know, maybe we can, maybe we can at least try. That night was like a treacherous journey that Marley, Tug, and Zach had to get through to make it to the other side. What happened the next day was was the first day of the rest of our life. That next morning, we watched the sunrise, journaled, and then we just started walking, man. Just started walking. It was as simple as that. Just putting one foot in front of the other, taking my rescue dogs out into the mountains and watching the sunrise, just trying to connect to a power greater than ourselves. You know, to, to, to nature and to, to watch them get to go run through the fields and be themselves and and just do them. You know, that was uh, that was the beginning of, of the rest of, of our world as we know it. And really the beginning of, of Marley's Mutts was that morning, that morning that I decided I didn't even really decide the morning that my dogs gave me the kick in the ass I needed to get outside and, and move and get outside and breathe. Throughout all this, Zach always had his dogs on his mind. He knew that they needed him. The thing that was going to kill me for the longest time was alcohol. Um, Thank God it didn't. The thing that was going to kill me in the hospital was morphine. Thank God it didn't. The thing that was going to kill me when I got out of the hospital was myself. And thank God I didn't. And the thing that saved me was my dogs, 100%. Because in the midst of those overwhelming moments of fear where you just want to cave and give in, I had my dogs with me. So I, I just knew, especially with Marley, I just knew I could do it with him there and also for tug he was so weak that tug you know kind of allowed me to be somewhat powerful for him like i started to develop strength and get a little bit of self-esteem so i started to be able to be more for him and he even started to change a little bit so i wanted to i wanted to be better for him and um but yeah with marley the, the way he saved my life was just giving me the courage to face the world it was, uh, it was just a lot of fear, and, and my dogs really helped me get out there and face it and realize that, it, that the fear alone wasn't going to kill me. If it weren't for them, you know, none of this would have happened. None of it. None of it. I 1,000% would have taken my life or ended up drinking myself to death. So you're walking every day now. You're moving with the dogs. You're starting to recover, if that's the right word. Walk me through all of that. We started to walk four or five times a day, six times a day, eight times a day. Started to get a little physically better, sending in my results and they're sending back the report saying you're getting better. We don't know why to keep doing what you're doing. You know, they're, they're meanwhile baffled because again, all I'm waiting to try to do is get a liver transplant after six months sobriety. That's it. As Zach was working to restore his own health and build a new life, he also focused more on giving others a new life. I started bringing in foster dogs from the Humane Society. I started out with smaller dogs, and then we started out with a real big dog named, ironically, was named Zach. We named him Zach Attack. We just started fostering dogs, and that gave me an even more, more of a ticket out of my own brain. And, you know, I, I needed as much time to be spent not thinking about my situation as possible. And the best way to do that is to get into service. The best way to get off your own pity potty is to get into service. And that's what we did. Just started bringing dogs into the house. And before you know it, it's one turned into two, turned into three, turned into eight. And, um, you know, I'm building little quarantine areas. And, and the Tatchby Veterinary Hospital gave me two kennels at their facility that I could basically use for myself, for my own quarantine and space. Because back then I was in a garage. I mean, I was in my dad's garage. You know, I, I I didn't know the first thing. I mean, I'd been working on animal welfare for a little bit, but I didn't have a degree in anything animal related. I just had the desire 
and the creativity to be involved in this work. And, and that's all I needed. Zach didn't have much, but he was able to find a way to make his hobby into a real animal rescue. And, um, and, it, and it really just, it really started to balloon quickly. It, it was remarkable how many, you know, I just started with posters. I just made posters and just being creative, getting my mind into something creative. I hadn't done anything like that in years, years and years and years. So everyone sees this, this yellow guy driving around in a Saturn station wagon with the front quarter panel ripped off and a hundred pound dog in the back. You know, people start to take notice and, um, before you know it, Marley's Mutts was was founded, and I started. We called it Marley's Mutts because of Marley, obviously, and because at the time there weren't a lot of normal dog rescues. Most of the dog rescues were breed specific. So in our area, we had a German Shepherd, we had a Doberman, we had a a Boxer rescue, but we didn't have anyone for the dogs that, that you know the mutts. So that's how Marley's Mutts, the name was uh, was coined, and uh, and really we just just catapulted into the the universe uh, from that moment on. All right, if Marley could understand 100% of what you're saying, and he was here today, what would you say to him? I would sit back, kick our feet up, and have a conversation about how much has taken place since day one. You know, I would just reflect on all the victories. You know, if I got an opportunity to talk to him, I would just just do that. I would spend a whole bunch of time just counting the victories, all the wonderful adoptions, all the the programs, all the all the second chances, all of that. You know, what would he say to you? Uh, what I always imagined Marley was, you know, doing for me, or what I always imagined he was trying to communicate to me was to stop. Uh, doubting myself you know um so i think you know because he never doubted himself it's hard to explain this to people because we were talking about a dog but uh we fostered all, all the time so every day there's multiple foster dogs coming in and out so he's having introductions with new dogs some of them much bigger than him some of them natural pack leaders some of them very intimidating some of them very reactive and, and Marley never stepped back from a situation. He was never worried. He was never scared. He was never anxious. And uh, so I think he would tell me to, to move through those, to, to move through my interactions without that anxiety because I've, I've got what it takes. All right, you got to go check out Marley's Mutts at marleysmutts.org. You can also follow Zach. Just go to his Instagram. It's at Zach Scow, Z-A-C-H-S-K-O-W. Hey, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe for more incredible stories of animals saving people's lives. I'm Rocky Kanaka, and this is an Animal Saved My Life.